Hello, everyone. We're back for another Candid Crack, and we've got a special guest all the way in the US. And I hear Richard taking off in the airplane again. Uh, Richard, how are you as well? I'm very well, Oscar. Thank you. Okay. Hello, Gemma. How are you? Hello, Oscar. I'm doing great. It's, a, it's very special to be coming from China and then living in the United States and then talking with people who are in China. Well, that's a great introduction of yourself, right? So talk a little bit more about your background, Sir Gemma. My background? Mm. So while I focus on my professional background, I often jokingly say I have traversed the entire academic spectrum from the very humanity to the very STEM. So my undergraduate was in English language literature in um, Shanghai, China, which one one of the four best English programs in in China. And then my master was in business administration, MBA, and then my doctorate is in educational leadership. And now I work in an engineering school at the University of Pittsburgh. So see, that's the whole spectrum. Um, is that good enough? Anything that's, else you want to that's follow a good, That's a good intro. And uh, so the second part is more, uh, so explain a little bit more about what you do at the moment. Mm. So what I do, I would say I have, like most times I find myself, I would get myself involved in very, very different things, but underneath it's very, um, very aligned. So a very big part of my work, probably 70 70 to 80% of my time is spent on National Science Foundation funded project or to be funded in the proposal developmental stages. So right now I have one funded project on circular economy, which is a new NSF program, NSF stands for National Science Foundation in the United States, one of the biggest federal funding agencies for science, fundamental science uh, research, scientific research. So currently it's a, I'm working on this GCR, standing for Growing Convergence Research. Uh, it's a new uh, NASA program started in 2019. And the team I'm working on is one of the first, uh, co uh, one of the first 19 teams in the first cohort. Uh, and our topic is circular economy. Um, so we have, um, so it's a very like diverse team. So we have nine faculty members, um, all different kinds of engineers, plus um, anthropologists, plus economists, and then 19 to like about 17 graduate students and postdocs. So it's about 25 person team. And my role on the team is kind of like the team person by looking over the convergence process, right? Make sure I just hold the team together. And the, the two best compliments I got from my team members about my role is one is I'm like a catalyst. Right, so the catalyst doesn't participate directly in the chemical reaction, but it instigates it. So, so and the second is uh, one, one of my team members said, you know, of all the diverse disciplines on our team, um, you give us a unifying presence. So I find that just so beautiful because, you know, I often talk about ecosystem awareness. It's a lot of times we feel like it's the PI principal investigator's role to to hold the vision, but you know, the principal investigator typically comes from a specific discipline and most times the engineers, you know, so it's, so inevitably when, when the principal, principal investigator comes up, she or he is the team leader, but he also have a very, very strong disciplinary background. So a person like me is kind of like Geneva, like, like neutral. So, so I have much more potential to 
give that unifying presence or enhance that role of the principal investigator. So that in a nutshell is what I do with with the with the uh, an asset funded science projects. So I find there's a lot of need because of this like shift in an asset funding initiative. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited in learning more. It's what I've always wanted to do is in bridging the knowing doing gap, as I as I, I call it, right? Translating theory into practice and then feed the insight in practice back into theory to continue to develop, develop it. So that was one, one part of my work. And the other part of my work is very much in the field of social innovation. So as a matter of fact, today, I just completed this one year project called Adaptive, Adaptive Space. So it's, um, so, okay, it's not completely completed. It's, uh, it's one portion of it is complete, one of the main portion of it, it's the Adaptive Space Learning Group. So in, in that learning group, so, so in this group, we had about 25 people from all over the world like we call ourselves the hopeful monsters. <laughs> so a little bit on the fringe of the of the uh, uh, of the existing systems, hoping to hoping to attract the system towards a place of more equity. Uh, so like we have three themes, right? Seeing the complexity, seeing the inequity, and grappling together. So we were together for twelve weeks, um, for two hours each week. We meet. Uh, we we met. Um, and we talk about all topics just related to complexity and inviting people's lived experience. And that was really just something very, very special. So for, for me, how these two relate to each other, they are all about bridging the knowing doing gap, all about applying complex leadership. And they also complement each other so well because in academia, my brain is driven. And in, um, in the social innovation adaptive space, my heart is driven. So it, and the, the energy just is a very like, symbiotic symbiotic relationship between these these two so that's that's my my professional life in a nutshell um so so can you can you i think there's probably three things we're going to ask you to uh, go a little deeper into so first of all can you can you explain what you mean by a circular economy because it's quite an abstract idea to lots of people so so what is a circular what is a circular economy what what are you trying to uh, to do with it Wow, I'm probably not the best person to to answer that because, like mm -hmm. I said, I'm like more like the catalyst, <laughs> the catalyst. So I don't participate directly in circular economy uh, research. Yeah, but actually, we just had I just gave my convergence leadership seminar today where my team were just talking about the circular economy and how one my team member was saying she so before she and she started this project, she was uh, I mean she's academia, but she was working primarily with industry. Right, and she felt she felt like this this project gave her like her by her researching on circular economy. This is a, like a way for her to translate it to her industry partners. And uh, I mean, circular economy as a term was in the United States is mostly promoted by a foundation called the Alan MacArthur Foundation. And I I mean, circular economy means very different things in different countries in different contexts, right? So, and we did a literature review on circular economy uh, as one of our first things. So we want to get it published in nature, but we got rejected. <laughs> so, but I mean, it, there's no shame in that nature's rejection rate is so high. And, you know, we, we looked at just like how Europe looks at circular economy, how China looks at circular economy, how United States looks at circular economy. Like, I I don't have like a standard definition to it. You would have probably better to talk, to ask 
the PI and the other team members for that for that one. Okay, so uh, let, let's move into the second one about the the idea that you're um, the project glue. Um, you know, you're gluing everybody together. So, so what is it exactly that you do to glue people together in a project this complex and this interdisciplinary? Oh, I love, I love the word you use, glue. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the word my team used was was catalyst. But there has been times, many, many times in my life, when people referred to me as a glue, um, like in different work contexts and team contexts. So it's very. Very similar. So what I do was, was, you know, I had this blog post and I talked about three containers of transformation. So that in a nutshell, like summarized what I do, right? So one of the containers was container for affective relationship. So, so that's exactly what I did with, with, with this complexity, uh, with this uh, convergence leadership uh, seminar I just, I just re referred to earlier today. So basically the idea is, you know, with all the different disciplines come together, they are all very bright people among the best in the world in their field, you know, and with very different disciplinary perspectives, you, you bet there are going to be frictions, <laughs> you know, right? So, I mean, that friction, that friction is what propels the team forward. Um, where innovation comes from, but however, you know, too much friction can really break the team. Right, so like in complex leadership theory, we say task-related conflict is very good. However, you don't want it to turn into a personal-related conflict, right? So, so and it, it could easily happen that way. You know, if if I always disagree with you, you're gonna suspect that I don't like you, right? So, 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 so when the container, one of the things I do is I hold containers for affective relationship, where where we all come out like we all come out of our throne, you know, like. We're all, you know, we're all like, we all have a little, little, little kingdom of our discipline. But let's all come out of our throne and come to the middle place, and uh, and just talk about things of common concern, right? Like relating from commonality instead of a difference. So, so this year I'm doing the convergence research. So where where uh, we talk about all kinds of topics. So. It's, it's monthly, so how like it's monthly seminar for one and a half hours, right? So for 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 February and March, we talk about facilitation skills. How might we facilitate um, our interaction? And there are all kinds of techniques we can do that. And then for for March, I'm talking about the complex way of seeing and sense making. So actually, I talk about storytelling, and that I learned that from that Di Di Dialogic Cafe with uh, Alexis. Um, you know, that's where I. I uh, some of the materials I learned from there. And I also talk about, we also talked, uh, use another method called the debate, which is from uh, deep, deep democracy. So those are all like very, very useful things for the team to, to like very relevant topics, but, but everybody can relate somewhat equally because nobody has expertise in it kind of except me, <laughs> right? So, and then like last year, I mean, last year was really tough with the COVID. And it was also the first year our project. And I said it was also, we were also the first cohort. So there wasn't really some kind of a roadmap we could follow, right? So it's a new team. Most of our team members haven't worked together. It's a new topic and with COVID. So like the stress level was very high. So, you know, I detected that through talking with people, through being present for all the meetings. So like, you know, last it's a, the equivalent of a convergence leadership. Last year, I, what I did was a conversation cafe, right? We talk about VUCA psychology, right? Does anxiety necessarily, does uncertainty necessarily invite anxiety? Uh, we talk about, we talked about um, personal commitment, 
right? So if the project is so hard, what is the personal commitment that keeps you going? And we talk about the nature of the beast. So what is the nature of complex adaptive systems and why are they different than your regular technical systems? We talked about the human in the equation. You know, so why are we having anthropologists and economists on the team? So why it's important that we take into consideration the human factors while we design those technical solutions. So, so like basically the idea is, is you would detect like the pain points, the tension points on the team, and you would make the invisible visible by providing this safe space uh, for everybody to be able to come and relate to each other um, like effectively, you know, develop effective relationship. So that was that was one of the main things I did. And another main thing I did was I call it the second container is container for deep convergence or intensive interdisciplinary team. So, you know, like despite what you say and you are founded for convergence research, a lot of teams when you get founded teams very quickly go back to their disciplinary silos, you know, because it's just the, the easiest thing to do, right? So when we did our mid, like when we did our little evaluation last year, six months into our project, you know, the team were saying, we are so busy with, so busy with low hanging fruit and our hands are, are full and we're not doing what we are supposed to do. You know, that came out of came out of the team. So you're gonna develop you like it doesn't happen naturally, right? So so that's what is containers for transformation, for change. So you so what I did was I developed this process I call like that that follows this divergence convergence diamond, right? So where in our student, the divergence parties in our student meeting is we would talk about very diverse topics. So we explore the frontier. And then we also have topic owners who are come from a discipline, but when they present, they present in a very open posture and invite input from other disciplines. So that's the divergence. And the inflection point is we call a three-minute pitch, where where the students like in order to qualify a three-minute a pitch, you have to come, you have to the idea has to be sponsored by at least three disciplines. So right, the students have been have been like tiger cubs playing with it, with each other, and when they find an idea. Worth, worth exploring, they will come to the whole team meeting where their professors are there. They would pitch that idea. And then the team would make a decision whether to move forward with that idea or not. And then that's when you move you move to the convergence uh, conver con convergence uh, cycle. And uh, you, you start a convergence circle where it's it's an organically developed uh, interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary team. So that was kind of like how you hold the container to make sure, you know, the way I, 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 I share with my team, I call it's like the three horizons, right? McKinsey's three horizons. So your core competency where you starting is your first horizon, is your stronghold. But if we are funded specifically to do convergence research, we have to move up the convergence ladder, right? To be more and more convert, more and more convergent. So that's your third horizon is you're gonna cover both your first, your first, all your three horizons, right? So you, and you're gonna have, we are good at the first horizon. So the containers are already there. So we need to establish containers for the, for the third horizon, right? So that is another thing I do. And then a third thing I do is network analysis. So which is one of my, uh, my main research methods from my doctorate study. So I, I will take the network, uh, the network, um, like snapshot of, of the team's network every half a year. So, and then we'll see how the network has evolved. And it serves a very, very beautiful diagnostic tool to see who is interacting with whom and the, what are the sub-communities and who are the informal leaders that we can leverage to put in uh, strategic positions. So 
these are three main things I do. Well, I think I sound pretty busy. <laughs> now I'm the one busy all the time. The, the way that I would look at it, and I think it, I think it's it, it's it's oversimplification, but it's also gets to the heart of the matter. You're you're explaining to people how work works. I mean, it, it that's I mean, it's largely what I do as well. It's it's like work work is not just you sitting in front of your computer doing your little tiny bit. It's all of this human interaction, and it it's it's pushing people into deeper spaces, spaces they're not so comfortable with. And one of the things you talked about is when someone says, "Oh, I see the world differently." That's not what the person, the listener hears. The listener hears, "You're stupid." Um, and so it, it's not the "I see the world differently," and let's discuss it. It's "I'm right, you're wrong, you're stupid." And so that, then you get the conflicts and the interpersonal stuff. So that, so so it's really interesting that you you're doing that because I think that's perhaps one of the big weaknesses in most companies uh, and institutions is they don't know how work works at the human level because the the, the human sciences and organizations uh, are so bad they they've, they're just drawing from stuff that's out of date and, and was not particularly rigorous in the first place so, so that really covered that and I want to move into the third question I had which is the adaptive space so you send us a slide deck and you've, you've put adaptive spaces between operational and entrepreneurial space um, and so there's something around ambidextrous organizations going on there as well so can you can you explore you know what this third way space actually looks like and, and what people are doing in it yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's talking about leadership, uh, leadership research, leadership theorizing, right? So I would say, um, you know, uh, the 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 adaptive leadership and the administrative leader leadership are all pretty well established in leadership uh, literature, right? So the adaptive leadership are kind of like the R and D, right? They always come up with new ideas, kind of covering the third horizon coming up with the disruptive ideas uh, itself for the for the company, for the organization. The administrative leadership kind of stands for the bureau bureaucratic system that uh, is very interesting in standardizing uh, and um, like a kind of mass production and uh, efficiency, right? So, so that those two kinds of leadership are, were very well established. And what complex leadership theory contributes to the literature is enabling leadership in the middle that connects the uh, 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 adaptive leadership and administrative leadership and along the line of, of emergence. So, so basically the enabling leadership operates through the adaptive space. Right, because I mean, too many times, even like, 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 I mean, think about how many times, like, so, so if you are like a little PR in your organization, you don't have any position of power. So, but you have a lot of adaptive leadership, right? So, so like, you really want to work on some new ideas. So, too many times, like, like the person would be working on the idea until the idea is like really big and put in so much time and effort. And then you would go to people in, in the administrative leadership. And usually you, you get a very happy result that says, okay, I support this and uh, let's go ahead. Or a very sad result. You say, you know, I don't support this. No, right? And in, it's, I mean, in a, in a bureaucratic society and the organization too many times, your chance of getting no is so high. So that's how innovation doesn't happen and gets stifled, right? However, if you have spaces like that where, where um, um, a, a, like adaptive, adaptive leadership, people who are very adaptive have those ideas could interface with people who are in administration safely, right? In, in, a, in a safe way and also have that constant communication, constant interaction. 
that's that's how that's how innovation happens is you know in a very very well supported interactive dynamics right so if if that could happen just so much so much more ideas would be able to bubble up and uh and just like to survive and thrive and lead the organization to where it needs to be where, where it needs to go right so that's what enabling leadership now it's important to think that it's, it's important to say that it's not leadership is now leader right so one person can play all three roles can, can have all three leader leadership so one person can be adaptive can have the adaptive leadership can be can have the enabled leadership and can be the uh can like exercise administrative leadership so so like one person can play as many leadership roles as as they can um thanks so so you're so the, the way the metaphor I use here, and I said ambidextrous organization. So the, the classic is in an ambidextrous organization, you've got the part of the organization exploiting the known and, and another part um, uh, exploring the unknown. And so that, that's the classic. And the way I look at the bit in the middle is you're you're basically are when you when you're bringing everyone into the middle, it feels like you're doing the work with your wrong hand. So I call it a tridextrous organization because you're like, I you know, I, I could just do this so much easier if I use my right hand. And so you're, you're, you've got that discomfort of why am I being asked to do things in, in a way that takes is slower and is more just is more uncomfortable and it feels clumsy. So you're, you're operating in that space. So can you just um, I know Oscar would ask you this anyway, but I'm going to jump in and ask you. So what, what kind of things do you do in that space? You know, do you have a, you know, a, a two or three processes or methods or, or things that you, you can take us through as to what that enabling third way space looks like mm. that's a good question um yes there are there are processes so i can give you two examples like one is one is a process called wise crowd so they're both from a cluster of uh, of methods called liberating structures so this wide wise crowd um i tell you the result first so we did this twice with my team and twice team members came up to me and said this method is so liberating it gives it gave me a chance to ask questions i didn't dare to ask so so it's actually a very simple a very simple simple process you know so you you basically you play the role so if you are the person with the challenge you play the role of a consultant and the rest of your team, I'm sorry, you play the role of client and the rest of your team members become the consultants, right? So, and then you are giving, you are given a short period of time, like two, three minutes to, pre, to present your challenge. And then the team members can ask you clarifying question. Clarifying questions are not probing questions. The assumption is what you have, you have presented is enough, right? So clarify what, what you did not, they did not understand. And then you turn off, you turn off your video, you turn off your microphone <laughs> in the Zoom world. In the real world, you turn your back to, to your team so they don't see your, your face. And then and then um, they will they will they will deliberate. They are consultants. They will talk about like what they see, what, what they could offer to you, whatever, right? In a period of in a period of five to seven minutes. And then you come back, you turn on your video, and then you tell your consultants. You, you tell your consultants what was helpful and uh, and what further questions you have, and then you tell them what you took away. You know, so it is a little a little process where you deliberately centering questioning, and you make it legitimate to ask questions. So many times, I don't know if all companies are like that, but in academia, you were supposed to be smart and know everything. You know, asking questions is is hard. It's it's a little bit against the culture. 
So you, you introduce process like that where you make it fun, you make it totally natural. You know, I was surprised. You know, people come to me like, I've been wanting to ask a question. I never dared to, <laughs> right? So like, I, I, I dared ask it now. So this was one. And another one is, you know, there, like if you really want to build a learning organization, there really need to be mechanism to harvest the learn, you know, in a non-threatening way. Because a lot of learning, you call the growing pains, you know, because a lot of learning is painful, right? So, so like what another method I like to use is called truths. It's kind of a Russian word, which stands for prop, like ways to solve ingenious problems, basically. What it is kind of behind it is like the wrong theory, right? So like, like if you want to do something, like do, do something totally to the opposite. The first time I was introduced to that was, was uh, in an SF workshop, like, uh, a, a, a person got a career award. A, a career award is basically like, if you, if you get an nice career award, like you are set for your career almost. It's like you are the best of the best in your researcher. So she got a career award for just doing that wrong theory. So basically what it is, is that, okay, so you're gonna design like something that help that help a person uh, who, who couldn't move her hand to open the door. Right, so like, okay, so your first step, you, you you would design it to humiliate and hurt her, so right, and then you would come up with strategy, and then you would come back, you say, okay, so how can I really design? You kind of a, you kind of like shed shed light on the on the dark side of things, right? So this is how the truth works. So the first step is you would say, okay, so what can we do to completely mess this up and make sure it is a waste of time, and as detailed as possible, right? Come like with with a list of things. And then you would hide, you only tell them step by step. And then and the second step is, wow, is there anything even close to what you list is even close to what we're doing? Right. So be ruthless. And then people would oh like, like tentatively move something there, move something there. And then step three is, well, do you have any suggestions, strategies in how we can stop doing that to make sure that we we are uh we are utilizing our time effectively? You know, it's it's kind of like little fun things like that, which, you know, it enabled people to say what they want to say, but they don't dare to say, or they don't feel it's right to say, you know, out of social pressure, or like whatever. So I hope- That's great. I've, 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 that's good. I've, I've put Oscar through a little bit of the first type of those before. I've had him turn his back to a cr critical crowd. Um, where, But we, we went a bit more Pixar in terms of their job was to rip his idea apart. I mean, it was right at the end of a day and everyone knew each other and everyone was having fun, but the job was very Pixar, this is bad because, and then he had to redesign and then this, and then he had to redesign. And I've also do, I do a similar thing in terms of in the corporate world in the second point is, one is how would you kill your company if you were a, a competitor? Now that, and right. the second one is, what is the worst day at work that you have? You know, a hypothetical worst day. So they, 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 which people love, they just go, oh my God, this would happen. And they go, right, now you know this hypothetical worst day, start making sure that doesn't happen. And then you get into yes. a really interesting, so the same, same kind of things. So yeah, really interesting. Oscar, I've, I've dominated, please. <laughs> I actually want to go back, uh, Jama, uh, at the start where you mentioned, you seem to have some, uh, somehow developed some kind, kind of uh, facilitation methods or process where you mentioned you have this mini bits so I'm quite intrigued by that. Uh, how how is that something that existed, or is that something you developed from scratch? And, and how do you get to uh, that? Yeah, where where I had what the the 
Yeah, you mentioned that uh, do not facilitation a, a process. You have, let's say, those different disciplines coming together and then three dis disciplines or three verticals actually had to then sort of vote and then it would actually go to mini pits. This is quite interesting to me. Is that something you de developed yourself or was that an existing uh, approach that you borrowed? So you was asking the different facilitation approaches uh, I'm using and where I learned that from, or I did I came up with that or whatever. Okay, so uh, that's a great question. Actually, you know, I like I'm always very, um, even though I have a PhD, like I was very reluctant in getting my PhD because I feel PhDs are all like talks because <laughs> I'm I, I like to do. You know, I'm always very attracted to like doing things. So I'm always like learning all kinds of very practical facilitation skills. So, you know, I have this book on my on my uh, table. So this was one of the places where I learned innovation for people like Roma Institute, which is a place in Pittsburgh and they do human-centered design. And they have just all kinds of like very cute little methods, right? This one I'm looking at the importance difficulty matrix, right? So like all kinds of, all kinds of facilitation methods to help help to move like group processes. And then another one is uh, like another, so that was one cluster. Another cluster is um, liberating structures. So it's a very, very active community. And I also learned about facilitation from Kneven, um, you know, the, the uh, Cognitive Edge. Uh, they have like base camp and they teach how to do, teach you how to do co complex facilitating. Um, and then I also invent methods on my own. You know, that's something that Dave Snowden said, and he said, you know, if you don't understand the theory and then you were doomed to use the method that worked the last time, right? So the other way of saying that is if you understand the theory and you have some methods in your mind, you can always invent new methods like that means that need of the team at that time and at that place on that occasion. So what, what kind of methods you, you mentioned you kind of... Uh... Uh, developed by yourself that sort of emerged over the last uh, few months? Mm, like facilitation methods? Wow, it's hard for me to, it's now everything, like, I mean, everything is all like uh, organic whole in my mind. It's hard for me to think of which one I developed myself and which one I learned from where. Mm. I have to, I have to think on that one a little bit. Okay, it's the whole example. great great okay. artist steal. It's the great artist steal thing, Oscar. Is one you know once you once you've stolen an idea, you can't remember that you've stolen it. You're just using it the whole time. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. and there are there are so many of, of these techniques, and it's it's just a matter of so I'm sort of semi relating to this, Jim. I mean, how yeah, I, I've I've tried to work with corporates and and, and produce you know use some of these techniques and, and they don't understand what you're trying to do. I and mean, one of the things Oscar and I do is is open space technology and 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 that kind of you know and and it's just so the idea of sense making and it it's alien. So 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 the struggle you've had that in a, in a university did you did you have similar struggles to get people to listen to this kind of stuff and what did you do to 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 get people on board? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I had a tremendous, tremendous difficulty uh, at the university. When I first started, I was basically just slaughtered. You know, it was it was like brutal. <laughs> so the, the the organization immune system kicks in on you, and uh, you were just absolutely rejected. You know, so 
I mean, within the current operating structure of the university. You know, so that was where I, I sought to change and where, uh, and I was very fortunate to be able to work on those National Science Foundation funded project. You know, it's kind of like a little sandbox in a um, concrete jungle, you know, because you have several million dollars and that's what you were asked to do. And, uh, you know, out of uh, accountability, you know, a little bit fear driven, if that's what you are accountable for. And out of uh, curiosity driven, a lot of a lot of the researchers who are drawn, even though they are embedded within the academic structure, if they are drawn to this type of research, they have a little bit of a different orientation and also have a, a, a lot more openness in them. So I find, you know, I find my work within the current, within the existing operational system in higher education almost impossible. You know, I just, <laughs> I just have to say that very, very honestly. And I, I find my work in those National Science Foundation funded project very, very um, fertile ground to, to, to play and explore. So yeah, I mean, I, I having worked on and off in the university system, I, I yeah, there, there are bits of university systems that you can do this in, but it's that it's tiny. It, the, the the dominance is is still. Um, you know, medieval style of lecturing um, and, and, and just do that um, rather than, than, than play around with, with stuff and do coaching and do techniques and, and push people into, into other spaces. So, so I, I understand the frustration. Um, so so I mean, how, how, how when you get or is, is it impossible if you get these traditional academics who just going, oh, I know everything, I'm the expert, because you've got this idea of expert, and I know you work in adaptive leadership, so adaptive and, and that kind of space where expertise is quite a long way down what you need to be a good leader. So that that's mm -hmm. a you know that's a really interesting space to be playing around with where you've got the expert saying, no, I know everything, and you're saying, well, you're probably only about a third of the way up the leadership level. How do, you, how do you deal with that kind of challenge? Mm. It's a, it is, it is indeed very, very challenging. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, it is indeed very challenging. I can give you like a moment I had. So um, last fall, um, me and a couple of colleagues was, were asked to uh, host a workshop for <clears throat> another NSF program called Convergence Accelerator. So they have the future topic selection workshop. So what they do is they cluster funds, right? So they would, they would start with funding like 10 topics and then see how the, the scientific community respond to it. And then they would select two ideas as, as their future cluster funding ideas. So we were asked to host one of those workshops. So it's again, on circular economy, right? We call it circular economy from molecules to build environments. And um, it was like all the, the best researchers in the United States, at least in, in this in this realm, sustainability, circular economy, like a green type type of researchers come, right? So so like, and we we were put in breakout rooms to talk about an idea, and very very quickly you start to see the posturing, you know, and. Uh, the posturing was so just obvious to see, you know, how like my discipline, like I'm the chemist, right? Like I'm the designer, right? I'm the, I'm the civil engineer. So just how, how all these disciplines, the posturing was just so obvious. And immediately I almost physically felt the air was sucked out of the room. 
you know, once you start that posturing, it's a very close gesture. You know, you don't have that openness. So, you know, as we 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 had three workshops that happened at the second workshop. So as we we were reflecting as a team, you know, I said, I said, I really need to say something. You know, I said at our next workshop, I need to send a few invitations or like give some like you know ten essentials for the journey. Right when you go out on the venture, you make sure you have your compass, you have warm blankets. So I said this is like an adventure. So we're venture we're venturing into the unknown. So like I gave like a few principles as the essentials to bring on into this adventure to make sure it is an adventure instead of something in something mundane. Right. So right, one of the things like I said was we're gonna lean into the unknown. You know, like I said, you know, what a circular economy is gonna look like? We don't know yet. That's why we are, we are exploring it, right? So like we gotta we gotta kind of leave the known behind, like an adventure into the unknown, and stop the posturing, but have have more of a posturing as expertise, but have more of an open an open uh, uh, posture. So I don't know how how it helped. You know that was one thing. So that was one thing I would I would do. You asked me how how work this challenge is like make the rule written. You know, like like make the explicit, make the implicit explicit. Because we have so many, we carry so many assumptions. But if we can lower the waterline and the, like let the iceberg up a little bit, so if we can say very explicitly what we, how like like that's another that's the other dialogic cafe, right? Culture is the way we do things here. If we can say very explicitly, this is the way we do things here in this convergence research, that helps. That helps a lot. So that was one thing I have found, which I was talking about is like the food and the exercise. You know, so that was like the food, right? And the exercise is all the processes you you introduce to the mechanism you introduce to enable in to to operationalize those principles. So some of the processes that I have have introduced you like just how to seek feedback, how to check progress, right? So how to how to leverage collective wisdom to tackle challenges. So that's kind of like how, but I have, I can't claim I have conquered this because like, I feel like I haven't even started. I only got my feet wet and I acknowledge it is a very, very, very tough, tough challenge. You know, like if somebody has spent all their life accumulating that expertise and now all of a sudden you would tell them like so much of people's identity is tied in that, you know, so Yeah, I, I've got so, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of the couple of things I think are problematic in in the why why people don't listen to to this kind of stuff, Gemma. So the first one is the notion of soft skills. You know, as soon as you start doing this kind of stuff, they go, "Oh, they're just the soft. That's just the soft and fluffy. That doesn't matter." Um, so the idea that the soft and fluffy is is actually the hardest thing to to to, to do. Um, you know, so so there's a, a linguistic challenge. Soft and fluffy. I hear that all the time in the work that I do. I don't do. I don't do the soft and fluffy. I just, I'm just doing the hard stuff and, you know, that, that kind of, um, so, that, so that's, that's one of the challenges. And the other challenges I've had, and I wonder if you've come across it before. So I, I've literally been at a dinner with rocket scientists. And so they, you know, people working, building rockets to go and mine asteroids. Um, and they feel totally okay to talk to me about my discipline human behavior and management and leadership. They go, oh, no, no, we know all about this. I don't tell them how to do rocket science. Why do they think that they can tell me how to do leadership when they've never read a, 
they've maybe read one popular book on leadership. So do you come across that as well? Is that, oh, your yeah, leadership is easy and it's, it's, it's this human behavior is an easy discipline. And I, I, because I'm a, a proper scientist, I can go and talk to you about that. And, and, and yeah, I, I come across that all the time. So A, do you come across it? And B, what do you do about it when it happens? Yeah, that's a great question. I come across that all the time. It's it's among the biggest challenges I face. You know, uh, it's like like the way I said it is two assumptions that can kill you. You know, one is you assume if you have a technical uh, competence that you have the people skill as well. You know, which is totally wrong, right? So I mean, that's that one simple video from um, Dave Snowden's team. You know, like like he was talking about the Kinevin and these four these four quadrants for domains and he said you know just because you know how to do rocket science doesn't mean you know how to do parenting because rocket science is more in a complicated, do complicated domain and and the uh, uh parenting is more in a complex domain so it's a very simple thing with distinguishing complicated from complex right so after <laughs> after we said that one of my team members unmuted and she said now I feel so much better because because I used to feel I'm an engineer I should know how to do a mom how to be a mom <laughs> she said now I feel like I have three kids. I have, still haven't got mothering down yet. <laughs> and that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm not a good engineer. <laughs> so right, that's the first assumption that can kill you, right? If you, if you know technical things, you know how to do human too. So basically that means if you know complicated things, you don't necessarily know complex things and vice versa, right? So of course the other way is easier to understand. So, and the second, I mean, another assumption uh, is that if you are a good individual contributor, you will be a good leader, you know, which, which is the second assumption that will kill you, <laughs> right? So you can be, that. that's what you say, a, a team of all-stars is not necessarily an all-star team. You know, you can be a star, but the team you lead is not, not necessarily a star. You know, you can be the star that outshines everybody else and demotivates everybody. So, so what I do, it's it's very it's very hard to tell a note at all anything. <laughs> so usually what I do wait till they fall and then pick them up. You know, because most most of the, most of those, I mean, most of I mean the reason I'm talking with them or working with them is because they understand there's a need for me. And a lot of times still there isn't enough space for me to do my work. So let them fall, you know and then pick them up that's when people are open that's where the open gesture is created is when you face difficulties you don't know how to tackle it and then you would turn <laughs> you would turn to people who really have expertise right that's kind of how you do parenting too you can try to tell your children all you want they don't listen to you and then when they make a mistake they get themselves stuck and they come to you and then they are open uh, that, that's a great explanation uh, Gemma about that uh model what i like to talk about as well as more about sort of looking forward right so you, you mentioned already at the start um for sort of le leaning into the unknown uh when we talk about the future uh, future um you talked about circular economy although you said you, you, you're not the expert to explain it but i, I actually want to go back to that to with the experience that you have and sort of looking forward what do you see happening? What do you see emerging from, from that work that you are doing right now? In the, in the circular economy world? Is that what you mean, the circular economy world? Mm. So yes. what I see is that, is that um, you know, the, 
so the, the, the chemical engineer on, on our team, he's among the world's best polymer scientists. And his task on the team is to come up with a new kind of a thermal set. Like, thermal set is a new word for me. It basically means a building material that is reversible. So right now, the way it is, is most of the thermal sets are not recyclable, right? So that's, that's what we call our team circular design is you need to start at the design stage. When you make the molecule, you want to make sure that they are, they are reversible, can be recycled. So, so you know, he, you know he, he, said, he said, basically since World War II, we have had a steady decrease in price because of the increase of efficiency in production. However, in recent years, we are starting to see price coming up again because of the scarcity of raw materials. You know, so, so what we come to see is like circular economy is no longer something nice to do anymore, but it is something like necessary if humanity wants to continue to survive and maintain like or even improve the standard of living and feed all these like ever growing population. So it's, I think it's really something seriously we need, we need to think about. You know, that's the thing, right? So in a complex adaptive system, the, the nonlinear relationship between cause and effect, right? So it's very hard for us to see the effect of our daily action. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's important that we see that and adapt our individual behaviors as well as collective behaviors, starting, starting at the molecule. <laughs> <laughs> right, so circular economy is way more than recycling. Yeah, it's, I mean that, that's, that's that's fascinating, and I and I work on a uh, carbon neutral steel project, um, and I've also listened to people talk about well, the, the future of building should be bamboo, because they the bamboo forests regenerate in three years, so why aren't we using bamboo to build everything? Um, you know, really, really, really interesting stuff. I want I want again. You know, so, so you're behind that, you need to do all the work you're doing. You need to do this kind of, how do you get interdisciplinary people working together in complex spaces and, and, and adaptive spaces and doing this kind of stuff because you've got to get that those conversations happening. So I want, I want to push into the, the kind of, the language I always use now is, you know, when I'm framing stuff is the future of work is, is not about um, the science of business administration. It, it simply isn't. The future of work is about understanding complexity science and, um, and a deep, broad and wide knowledge of human behavior. How does that resonate with you? It resonates very, very deeply. Even today, I was, I was saying, I said, you know, just human beings is just the most complex adaptive system individual entity of the entire universe <laughs> you know it's we really we really just gonna just restore the humanity and make the space for full humanity to show up at work and in our education right i mean the way work is the way it is has a lot to do with the way our education is done right think about how much how much space for for your full hu humanity there is in in education so, so that resonates very, very, very deeply with me. And that was truly the future I would like to be part of creating. This is gonna, this is gonna now ask, be a very difficult question. So what actually, in an organization that takes these two dimensions seriously, right? We understand complexity science, we understand human behavior. What, what kind, what does that organization look like? Mm. That's, that's hard. I have to say we're only at the, like, we're only taking baby steps, you know, at 
toward towards it. I I I don't know of any organization that exists right now because because I think it has a lot to do with with each each individual's spiritual development as well, right? So like each individual's like the entire humanity has to move forward on the evolutionary trajectory before we like not before but in order to enable that kind of organization to happen. Mm, you know, but I could. Like I can, I can say just a few things that I can think of. You know, one one of them is, like, okay, okay. I'll just say this. So, uh, the adaptive space, like social innovation side that I just did, the tagline we came up with, we came up with is adaptive space for adult development, where learning and belonging are intertwined. So I think for me that would would have a glimpse. Of, take a glimpse into what that kind of organization will look like, where there will be abundance of learning, where it su supports the holistic adult, uh, adapt, uh, adult development in, a, in an environment of belonging. So, you know, too many times learning doesn't happen because there isn't a sense of belonging. You know, like there is like, you know, suspicion, fear, politics, whatever, right? Competition, right? And the other way is also true. Belonging doesn't, ha belonging doesn't happen because there isn't learning. There isn't enough, you know, up, upward upward movement so it's all stagnant right that's one of the wisdom you know in, in organization that is mired in politics it can't be a growth oriented organization if it's a growth oriented and a, a learning organization everybody's busy learning and developing where do they have time for politics so so i will say my answer would be you know learning it would be very strong as well as belonging is very strong and they form a symbiotic relationship you know, that, that takes me to the last question, which we ask all our uh, interviewees, uh, which we call the nine trillion dollar questions. We basically so the, the, the idea is based around the idea that, that there's about nine trillion dollars of unrealized value in, in organizations because of outdated uh, methods of doing things. Uh, so I think you've already explored a lot of that. So I'm going to I'm going to push it a little bit higher. It's an existential question. Um, you know, you're talking about circular economies and renewable stuff etc etc if we don't get this right potentially the world burns um so it's an existential challenge so what will the world look like if all of the work you're doing becomes injected into all of the organizations in the world but i mean there are there are uh, philosophers that that have envisioned futures like that right so like for example like I'm Chinese and Confucius has a picture like that, right? Where it's like basically everybody's happy and everybody is given the enabling conditions to to re, to achieve their highest potential, not only in the material way, but also you know in in all the like the what does the World Health Organization say? What well-being is? You know the, the the physical, the relational, the emotional, the spiritual, just all the aspects of what it means to be a human, human being, and uh, it is it is well cared for. And then also human being restored his place in in the natural ecology, in the in the in the cosmos, right? It's it's instead of a, this kind of dominance over, which is which is I mean is very much prevalent in organization as well, right? In some human like dominating everything, but human is part of this ecosystem where it is in its place and it can it has this symbolic symbiotic relationship with all the other things in its environment. So I think it's I mean so many philosophers have dreamed about it. 
Are, are you hopeful that, that we can bring about this kind of world? Absolutely. I'm absolutely hopeful. You know, the way I think about it is it's right now where humanity is, it's kind of like a teenager. You know, it's kind of a lost, it's, it's naivete as a child and it's trying to seek its, its identity as an adolescence. So sometimes it looks like we're going backward, but it's just this stage where we're exploring. I'm very hopeful that humanity as a whole will reach its adulthood, where we will be much, much more able to realize our potential. So if, if humanity is a teenager, if humanity is a teenager, what, what is an organization? Is it, is it a toddler? Um, you know, are our organizations even catching up with, with humanity? And, and is, is that one of the big problems? Yeah, I would say, you know, I mean, I think in, in terms of a complicated organizations, organizations that are good, good in the industrial age, are good at mass, mass production, efficiency, right standardization, and it's already an adult. I think we're pretty good at that kind of a bureaucratic uh, triangle-shaped organization, right? So we're talking about more complex, complex adaptive organizations that are better fitted in the current knowledge economy. So that we're probably only an infant, maybe not even a toddler. I mean, some organizations probably are toddlers, but overall, it's like <laughs> a little infants. You know, full of potential. I think that's a great place to stop. Organizations full of potential. Um, they're the kind of places I want to work. Thank you very much, Gemma. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Gemma. And thanks for Richard as well. 